This is Radiate, the podcast that celebrates life and shines a light on life-restoring stories of organ, tissue, and eye donors, recipients, and information you need to know about donation. Welcome back to Radiate. This is episode 23. I'm Audrey Coleman, your host. Thank you for joining us today. Today's guest has been an advocate of organ and tissue donation for more than 20 years. Keith Madison has worked for Aurora as a tissue procurement coordinator, a communications specialist, and a donation development liaison. In 2021, Keith became a donor family member following the death of his wife, Sue. Sue had been living with some serious medical challenges following a massive stroke she suffered more than 20 years prior to her death. Since then, Keith has become a tissue recipient himself and after receiving an inferior cell to treat an eye condition, he has now experienced a full circle regarding his relationship with organ, tissue, and eye donation. Hi, Keith. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. How are you doing, Audrey? I'm doing great. Hey, Keith, um, you have, I've known you for a long time, even before we worked together at Aurora, um, but you've worked in the field of organ and tissue donation for a long time. Can you tell us how you got started in this? Yeah, a um, bit of a long story, but uh, there's an organization called the Civil Air Patrol. It's the United States Air Force Auxiliary, and they do uh, primarily search and rescue for down planes and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. they've got a cadet program to get young kids in the Air Force, etc. So... Um, uh, before Aurora, where I was working, I was also a coordinator for Civil Air Patrol in, in arranging blood flights for Red Cross. And what would happen is uh, when Red Cross was having a blood draw, say, uh, Jonesboro, uh, Mountain Home, somewhere around there, uh, Fayetteville, um, they would use CAP planes, Civil Air Patrol planes, because... Uh, the blood was being used for platelets and it has to be processed within three hours and they had convoys of vehicles and it was just taking too much time, too much money, etc. So uh, they arranged to use Civil Air Patrol aircraft and I was the coordinator. They called me and uh, usually a week ahead. Sometimes it was like the day of an emergency type thing. And um, I'd arrange the aircraft to fly in, pick the blood up, fly it back to Little Rock, the blood will be taken and processed. Now you've got uh, Phoresis that does the same thing. So, you know, the aircraft are not used for that. But what happened was, um, I don't know exactly when it was, but uh, the children's helicopter blew up on the pad. They were changing oxygen cylinders and, and it blew up. So I called children's and I said, hey, you know, if you need our planes to fly the um the ECMO equipment and, and the baby, um, our planes were available. I had nine of them at my fingertips and they politely said that the four-seater planes we use are uh, too small for their ECMO machines and I'm sure they're even smaller, you know, the, the ECMO machines are smaller now and all that stuff, but still. So um, they said, but what you might do is call your AMS and see if you can fly kidneys. And I thought, well, well that would be interesting. So I called UAMS and uh, it was a really 
weird conversation because it was like, if I remember correctly, the person I was talking to, to said, um, there's a new, and when she went to say group, you know, and, and then said organization, you know, it was kind of funny like that. And uh, she said they're called Aurora and they gave me the phone number. She said, you might, might want to call them. They handle that now. And I called and I spoke to the executive director at that time and uh, talked to him. And he said, well, what we could use you for is flying blood that's used for serologies. Uh, in other words, checking for the, the match and blood type and all that stuff for organ recipient. And um, what CAP did, Civil Air Patrol did, was uh, like if there was a donor in Fayetteville, they'd fly up, pick the blood, bring it down to uh, Little Rock Children's, would process it, and away we'd go. So that was, that was what year would you say that that was that um, you were volunteering for Aurora? It was, well, let's see, I think if I remember correctly, Aurora started in... 87. 80, 97, right? No, 87, 87. yeah. 87, yeah. So they'd been going for about maybe three or four months when I started volunteering for them. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Uh, I started working for them in 1990. So. Okay. So, so let's, let's talk about the work that you have done with Aurora since, since 1990. Um, so obviously you've been invested in and connected with donation for a number of years. So it's clearly very important to you. Um, and a lot of the work that you have done has been with students. And I, I know that I've shared with you, you know, down through the years that we've known each other that um, I could be out somewhere and someone will say to me, hey, that guy, there's this guy that used to, that came to my school when I was in high school, and that was, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they would tell me a story about how you talking to their class made a difference for them and caused them to really understand the importance of organ and tissue donation. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that there are probably many people who don't realize that here in the state of Arkansas, there is actually a mandate for high schools to provide donor education to the students right. health and, and um, driver's ed classes. Right, right. There are probably still some people who are thinking, well, you know, why do we need to reach teens? They can't even make their own decisions. Tell yeah. us why it is important, why you think it's important that we continue with education of teens. Um, well, you know, since what happened with Sue, and we'll, we'll get into that, you know, uh, in a minute, I'm sure. What I what I learned was that, and I know why why I was doing it, but, you know, talking to the kid, why it had to be done. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the kids, of course, can't make up their, you know, legally they can't say yes or no and all this stuff. So the parents have to do it for them. Um the problem is if the child doesn't tell them what they want to do, then you've got a problem. You know, it's a, it's a double whammy on the, on the family. I mean, thank God Sue and I discussed it because, you know, if Sue had said no to donation, then she wouldn't have been a donor. That would have been it. You know, I wasn't mm -hmm. going to go against her wishes as, you know, as much as I believe in it. And uh, with me getting tissue, it would have really made me feel bad, you know, mm -hmm. but I would have carried out her wish. 
Um, and the thing is, if, if these kids don't tell their parents what they want to do, and there is a situation or there is a, a fatality of some kind, you know, um, then when the, when the parents appro is approached about donation, they are going to do one of a couple of things, you know, like once when I went to children's to, to approach a mother after a car wreck, I walked in the door and said, Miss Sarsa and Keith Madison with Aurora. And she said, yes, we want to donate straight away. I mean, that was it. But then you go the other way where the parent has to sit there and try and figure out what to do, mm -hmm. you know, and usually will, well, I shouldn't say usually, uh, sometimes they say, well, I didn't know what they wanted to do, so I'm going to say no, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that brings up another one. I mean, I remember a mother that, her son was like 17, 18, something like that. And I think it was a car wreck. And uh, she was approached and she didn't know what the son wanted to do. And uh, and this is before um, the driver's license, where it is now where if it's on the license, that's it. You know, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, well, I didn't know what he wanted to do. So, no, I'm not going to donate. Well, he was disconnected from the ventilator and all that stuff. And... Uh, Within hours, she's calling back saying, I changed, changed my mind, you know, and they said it's too late. And that lady called up two or three times a day for about two weeks saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I wish I'd have done it, I wish I'd have done it. So that's why the education is important right there, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, just recently, as you know, I've, I've been out a couple of times and spoken, and, uh, and I said to him, you know, you can – you can procrastinate on your taxes. You can procrastinate on getting your car tax done. You know, you can get an extension on your taxes, but you can't procrastinate on making this decision because when your life's over, there's no extension. You know, you can't say, oh, by the way, you know, that's it. So that's where it's, it's critical to make, you know, let the family know. Even if you've got organ donor on your license, um, you know, it's not fair. It's a double whammy for that family for someone to come in and say, "Oh, by the way, you know, they've got organ donor on their organ tissue donation on their license, and you know, what do you think?" Well, I didn't know. Well, this is what's going to happen. You know, this is how it's going to work. And it's not that cold and callous, obviously. I mean, well, I know the Aurora, of course. you know, the Aurora staff are very kind and everything, but uh, um, that's that's basically, you know. Now the family's got to deal with the death and being, you know, this shock of, oh, my God, they're going to be a donor as well. So, so it. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's I mean, it, it makes the easier to, to swallow as such. You know, I mean, um, and even even then, you, I mean, you, you do get many of the donor families that I talked to before my situation, you know, they'd say. Uh, it helps deal with the pain, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the actual donation, you know, and it, and it does. There's no getting around that. I mean, um, initially it was really, really strong. Then it kind of faded off a bit. Well, the few times I've gone out to talk, it's that is, that that um, feeling of, wow, this really happened. You know, the, the donation happened and how many people have been helped and all that. Uh, it, it does it does easy. It's a salve on an open wound is the way of putting it. You know, it doesn't heal the wound, but it comforts it.
And you're, and you're speaking in this moment, you're speaking from personal experience. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so Keith, you know, in, in regarding what we were just talking about, so registering to become a donor, obviously it, we hope at some point benefit somebody who's in need of the order. Right. But in, in aside from that extremely important piece, extremely critical piece, something that you said is also important that probably many people don't think about, and, and that is that when you make that decision, you are allowing your the family to be able to just grieve about the death and not have to uh, worry or wonder about how their loved one might have answered that question about what yeah, yeah, don't. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece that you mentioned um, that I'd like for you to talk about a little bit is, is, is registering but letting the family know. Why, and just, I mean, I think we've talked about that, but why is that important that you let the family know? I mean, you talked about there are people who are at the family at the end with their loved one, and that's when they learn that their loved one had registered. Yeah. What difference would it make if people would inform their, their families? Well, you know, as you, as you know, the driver's license, if someone, so many times that, you know, I say so many times, I'm generalizing, um, someone may go up to get their license and the person at the revenue office says, would you like to be an organ and tissue donor? And they say, hmm, I'm going to think about that. You know, and this is where this procrastination comes in, if you will. Um, and the problem is, is that, well, it's not a problem, but if the if the license is blank, so many people think that that means no, and it doesn't mean no, right. you know. So what happens is if the license is not checked to say yes, and they're a potential donor, then Aurora reverts to the old system of coming in and saying, you know, they are a potential donor, would you consider donation? So once again, that monkey's on their back where they've got to make the decision, and it's not fair to do that, you know. So it's, you know, it, the, the system works. The, way, the system works as long as everyone, the system works in a positive way if everyone knows what's going on, you know. And, and, and eventually this, this family that could be approached where the loved one doesn't have it marked on their license, you know, and the family's approached and they say, yes, there's always going to be that little grumble back there going, I wonder if they really wanted to do this, you know? I wondered if they really wanted to be a donor. Mm -hmm. And then maybe eventually that will be erased by the, the, the comfort of knowing of how, you know, how many people they, they helped, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so that that is a point I know that when we're all doing presentations, we, we at Aurora, we always try to emphasize, emphasize that piece of telling your family, making certain that your family is aware of. That's critical. Absolutely you, critical. Yeah, you just outlined the, the, the excellent reasons that, that it's important that, that people do that. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, obviously, you are you're very dedicated to our mission, and you you talked about that if your wife Sue had indicated that she was not willing to become a donor, mm. that would have been it. You would have you would have allowed her decision to be the decision. Yeah. Um, however, she didn't want to become a donor. Yeah. Right. So, 
what was that like for you? Um, I mean, aside from it just being incredibly, uh, an incredibly difficult time. What happened was they start, they tried dialysis and what would happen is her blood pressure would drop. And it finally came to the point that, you know, we're going to try it for four days. And if it doesn't work, then that's it. You know, she would have to go to hospice. And, uh, you know, I, I knew she wanted to be a donor. And I thought, you know, if I don't take care of things now, it may not get done, you know. So I immediately called Aurora and, uh, you know, we arranged the time. And it wasn't four days, it was like two days before she actually died. Um, I made sure that hospice was up to speed on it because, you know, when she was in hospice, she wasn't in hospice very long. She got in on the afternoon of one day and uh, passed away uh, the next day, wow. you know, so that was it. But, uh, um, no, I tell a lie. I tell a lie. She got in the afternoon of one day. There was a whole day of the next day, and she died the next morning at 12, 12.27, you know, like just afternoon. And uh, um, I had to make sure that hospice was up to speed because, you know, a blood draw had to be done every morning and, and uh, um, you know, uh, make sure there's no infection and that kind of stuff and, you know, so and they they were great they were great i mean they, they were completely they were a fish out of water and they they worked really well really well so and in fact you know she was in hospice when her eyes were actually uh, recovered so uh, okay um, so, and so, you know you're talking about you know i know you're huh? oh, so you're saying Sorry? so the, her eyes were recovered while she was in hospice yeah 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 yeah, I, you know, I stayed with her for a little bit and then I, I left and then Jeff from the iBank uh, went and did the recovery. And, and you, I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but, you know, the um, the staff there were kind of squeamish about it as such, you know, and, and uh, Jeff even got a couple of them to come in after the recovery just so that they could see that the way he'd reconstructed, you know, it, it didn't look like the eyes were even gone. You know, right. So, yeah. 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 So you're saying the hospice staff, they were unfamiliar with this process. And so they were. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, typically, you know, they, they don't have to, they don't have to call in the death, you know, now the coroner may, mm -hmm. but, you know, um, I don't know if, if, if that would have happened with Sue or not. That's why I wanted to be, you know, head of the ball game, so to speak, to make sure it did happen. So, Keith, when you're saying that you, so what did you have to do? You said you started that like a few days, I guess, prior to yeah. when you suspected um, death would occur. So you you talked, right. you went to hospice, and you, what did you say to them? Um, well, I, I just said, well, even the doctors, you know, when it when it started getting bad, um, I, I said I said to the doctors, you know, she wants to be a donor, and I want to make sure that happens. Well. Uh, as it turns out, now had she had a had she crashed, you know, had her heart stopped in UAMS, it would have happened there, you know, as far as the the actual death as such. So, um, but in this particular case, um, it, it didn't. So they weren't involved in it. But uh, when I got to hospice, I, I made sure I got the the doctor at hospice and and told them that she wants to be a donor and this is what has to happen in order for her to be a donor. And uh, 
you know, please make sure that happens. And I was, I was, you know, I wasn't like pointing the finger at him, please make sure this happens. It was right. more of a, a plead, you know, yes. so that his wish could be carried out. So that's how it worked. And, and so now, um, you know, you're, you're doing presentations, you're out providing education again to um, Arkansans. Does it feel different for you now that you are, your goal, we'll talk about you as a uh, recipient in just a second, but you are also a donor family member now. So does it, does it change? It's always been so incredibly important to you. Could it have, could it become any more important to you? Did it change at all the way you make your presentations? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, now it's like, you know, when I spoke to the group this past Saturday, it was like, you know, here I am saying to them, it's really important you make sure your family knows because da-da-da-da-da, what I've just gone through. And then, um, and I said, you know, I'm standing here and saying, you know, yeah, I can talk the talk, but not not only can I talk the talk, but now I can walk the walk. I'm, I've walked the walk, right. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I know the importance of making sure the family knows and, and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a different different hat that I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much bigger hat, really. Um, but then when you get into the part with, with me being the recipient, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because then you've got another family involved. It was my daughter. Right. So, so different, different animal. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I know even now I I say this to, you know, I do an orientation with new employees when they come on to Aurora. And I always like to say to them, um, you know, in our department, in the communications department, we can provide the facts about donation. We know Mm. the facts. We know the the trends. We know all of that sort of thing. We know what can be donated, what can't be donated. But the one thing that we cannot do, no matter how knowledgeable we are about donation, is we cannot share the emotional impact right. of donation um, that a donor family or a recipient experiences. Yeah. And it just really, it changes the entire dynamic of a presentation when there is a donor family member or recipient. Right. So here you are now, you're both. You're both yeah, yeah. Exactly. And um I, I I mean does it does it feel does it feel heavy at all? Do you feel any more of a responsibility? I know you said the hat is bigger. Yeah. Does it do you feel a weight or more responsibility, or is it that you feel I've got the story. I've got to get up. I, I need to share this with other people so they know how to make it through a similar experience. What does it, how, how is it, how um, it feel different in that way? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's just as important to get out and discuss it now, you know, because, um, you know, as you say, I would go out before and I, I'd, I'd take Dennis with me, mm-hmm. you know. Or um, long, um, long-term volunteer, or, 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 or a family member, you mm-hmm. know, and all this stuff. And 
I can introduce them and let them tell their story. But if I haven't got that person with me, then, you know, you, all right, you show um, Paco Rodriguez, you know, the video or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's still not in their, it's not, and I, I mean this in the nicest way, but it's not in their face. It's not um, like in the room with them. Right. You know, Literally. I, was watching, I was watching the people when I was um, talking this past Saturday, you know, and they felt they felt the pain. They felt the pain of the loss, mm-hmm. and they felt the um, the joy of the you know the transplant kind of thing. You know, so so we haven't talked about your 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 transplant. So how did that come about? How is it that you are a uh, yeah? It's it's um it was a hereditary thing. It's rather interesting. Cause I remember going to see my grandmother when I was a kid and walking in, you know, and she'd shade her eyes, you know, from the light and say, who's that walking in, you know? And, and I just thought, well, she's old. No, she's going blind. That's it. But then, um, I was over here and my mother had two corneal transplants mm. and here I am in the field, but I really never said to her, why did you, had the transplant, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, once again, I just thought, well, her corneas went bad, and that's that. You know, lucky mm-hmm. she got them, and that's it. Um, but then one day, um, I'm at the eye doctor's, you know, for a checkup, and he said, oh, I want to run a test on you real quick. And he ran this test, and afterwards we sit down. And he said, Well, he said you've got quite a serious condition, and I said, What? What? What is that? And he said, It's called Fuchs dystrophy. Okay, and it's spelled F-U-C-H-E-S. So you have to be careful how you pronounce it, but yeah, it's Fuchs. Mm-hmm. And um, what uh, what it is, it's the the endothelial cells which are on the back of the cornea. They're the, as far as I'm I'm aware, they are the water pumps of the cornea. So overnight, they basically wash the cornea mm-hmm. and remove fluids in the cornea and stuff like that mm-hmm. and and plus i mean they, they they obviously are part of the visionary system as well you know mm-hmm. so um these cells die off and the only way you can get around it is initially when first discussed was a corneal transplant but you know medical systems the way it were the way they are medical technology and stuff um, what they can do now is actually remove the endothelium, which is this little piece of tissue on the back of the corner. It's as thin as a piece of tissue paper, and uh, they can actually transplant that, you know. And what it does is it, I mean, it's, geez, it's like a new new life. You know, it's crazy. Because I've still got the left eye to go. What they did first was they removed the, the cataract. You know, I, I had a cataract, so they removed that. And that put like a yellow tint on everything, you know, both of them. And uh, when they did the transplant, the yellow, well, before the transplant, the yellow tint was gone, but the vision was still bad. If I was driving at night and uh, a car came towards me with headlamps on, uh, it was like a total whiteout. It wasn't the, it's kind of a known fact that with cataracts, you get a big star effect, you know, and um, it, uh, with the, cataract done that it was just a total whiteout because of the endothelium and uh uh so 
I would wake up in the morning and probably, I don't know, it would take 20 minutes, half an hour before I could see anywhere near clear because my corneas were, were, were swollen with fluid, mm. you know? Because the epithelial cells were not. Yeah, the pumps, weren't, the pumps weren't working, if you want to put it that way, yeah. So um, when I got this uh, this transplant, it's really interesting because I mean, I went, as soon as I found out what it you know, what the problem was, I went onto YouTube and looked it up, you know, and then the day before I had the transplant, I looked it up. And like a cataract, you're awake when they do it and uh, what they actually do. And, you know, if anyone's interested, just go on YouTube and put endothelial transplant and it will come up and you'll see what happens. But what they do, what the surgeon does is they take a surgical marker. It's like a purple uh, magic marker and they put dots around the cornea and that's their margin because they're working from the inside upside down you know yeah yeah it, it's crazy and as for, now looking at the video it, it looks like a almost like a little toothpick uh, a dental instrument with a right angle on it and I don't think it's a, a blade because that would cut through the cornea, but I think they kind of scratch around those lines and then just hook the, the uh, tissue and pull it out. That's it. just comes off, you know. And then when they do the, the new piece of tissue, uh, it's been removed from the back of the cornea, of the donor cornea. And they roll it up and put it into a tube that's attached to a syringe put it in the eye in a little in a little uh, incision and then squirt it into the eye and then by rubbing this instrument over the eye very lightly and lots of you know uh, liquid poured onto it for lubrication and all this stuff and keep the eye moist you know um, this tissue unrolls now since this I was thinking there's got to be an upside down to this you know it was removed from this cornea there's got to be you know, uh, an inside outside to it kind of thing. How do they know? You know, how do it know yeah. kind of thing, you know? So um, um, what happened was uh, I went up to uh, the Lions Eye Bank uh, to see Jeff. I'd, I'd been up to UAMS to see Mustaine, my, you know, the surgeon yeah, and all that Jeff stuff. Jeff Brown with Arkansas. Huh? Jeff Brown. Yeah, yeah. I to see Jeff. And he actually showed me the endothelium in the vial, you know? And then he showed me a photograph, a big blown up photograph, and there's an S for Sierra, yeah, written on the cornea. And he said, do you know why the S is there? I said, I have no idea. I said, it seems kind of weird, really. That's how they tell which way the cornea is facing, upside or downside. If the S is faced the wrong way, they have to turn the tissue over. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now what they do at this point, how do you get the corn that this tissue to stay on the back of the cornea is the question. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't suture it. They put a bubble into your eye and you lay on your back for three days. You know, I mean, you're allowed to go up and go to the bathroom and allowed to eat and all that. But basically, this bubble pushes up, floats to the top and pushes the, the cells on the back of the cornea. Bubble would disperse, you know. Oh. So initially... I mean, I, I would I would look through it, but the bubble was right in the front, and I couldn't see anything. And I'd go, "Oh, this is working," you know, this type of stuff. But then I noticed that after a while, if I was laying flat and looked at the ceiling, it was white, 
but then as I sat up, I'd start to get vision, and that's where the bubble would go to the top of the eye instead of in front of the cornea. You know, so how how long then, before your vision was was clear enough for you to be able to resume? One week it was one week it was twenty thirty. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I see you've got readers on, but do you have to wear your readers very often anymore? Um, interestingly enough, uh, I, I do wear them, but uh, I mean, of course, I've still got the left eye to do, you know, yeah, and it's got a bad, it's got a bad cataract as well. But um, yeah, I've got dry eyes, so I'm supposed to use drops and all that, and I, I'm really bad about that. But if I put the drops in and get everything, you know, like working properly as such. I can read the uh, my text messages on my phone, which wow. is something I couldn't do without the glasses. You know, oh, that's that's pretty amazing for me. I'm very jealous because yeah. I cannot do that. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So, I have to ask though. So Sue was a cornea donor. Did yes. you ever contemplate the possibility of her being able to be your donor? No. Um. Um. I mean, it would have been, I guess it would have been kind of cool if I could have gotten, you know, her tissue. Mm -hmm. um, but these things are set up so far. I mean, my, my next transplant is set up for August 30th, you know. It's not like an organ where you're on you're on a list, but you're not, it, there's no cross-match done or anything right. like that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it, it, it can be transplanted without any problem. Now, say that, but, you know, of course, the people can't see this, but this is a, um Looks this like is uh, steroid. Uh -huh. Yeah, this is a steroid. And uh I started off with uh, four times a day for a month, then three times a day, and I've just gone to two times a day, and then I'll go once a day for the rest of my life. So there is still the rejection issue, you know. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that that um, can still happen. So you've got the the second um Transplant is coming up in August. Yeah, the the uh, the ninth of the ninth of August, I've got the cataract to be done, mm -hmm. and then the thirtieth of August is when I get the transplant. Great. Oh. So all in all, I mean, you've had a um, you've had quite a, a, a full uh, twelve to twenty four months. Um, yeah. Overall, yeah. last year was last year. Uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this is this is the first one is, uh, you know, uh, I talked about the cat just you know earlier on walking around before we actually got going on this. Um, Sue and I adopted these two cats. They were birth brothers, you know, and in January of um, uh, twenty one. He got sick and had to be put to sleep in February, you know, and, and he was primarily Sue's cat. This other one is part Maine Coon, and Maine Coon's a one-person cat, and he was mine. Uh -huh. um, and the other one was primarily Sue's, you know, it was one of these things where during the day it was hers and then he was mine of a night, that type of thing. But um, um, he was a really, really friendly cat and all this kind of stuff. So that hurt both of us. But then Sue got sick in March and died the 1st of April, you know. And then 14 days after that, remember my friend that lived in Hot Springs, moved to Pensacola mm -hmm. a long time ago? Okay. She died 
14 days after Sue waiting for a liver transplant, mm. you know, and that really, that was tough to deal with because well, it, was, it was kind of weird really because it was tough to deal with because I couldn't do anything about getting her a liver, mm. but on the other side of the fence, it shows that the system works because I couldn't do something and pull a few strings, you know, so it was, it was one of those type situations, right. but that was a whammy, you know, and then, um, and then just the rest of the year, good Lord, I, lo I lost about 10 friends. It, it was crazy in England over here and everything. Now, of course, I'm of that age, but a lot of them were younger, a lot younger, mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't COVID, you know, right. exactly. so very strange, but, but it was a bad year. So anyway, um, with Sue, uh, she donated her eyes and she was a bone and I think soft tissue i'm not sure about soft tissue but i think she was um i, I would have to check probably with angie or you could check with angie for that yeah. um but uh the the eyes it's absolutely amazing because i mean when i started with aurora the only thing was that was donated as far or transplanted as far as eyes goes was the cornea you right. know so you help two people right sue helped uh, 17 people you know oh, so you so, already know that yeah 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 in fact i've got an envelope not with uh you know going by the rules and all this stuff <laughs> but i've got their i've got their gender and their age you know and uh and a lot of them are older i think most of them are older but mm -hmm. um one cornea was actually that the endothelium funny enough was transplanted the cornea that had that wound on it well, yes. what was interesting was you know the the um the uh, placenta is obviously a very vascular thing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, um, the, the, when it was transplanted uh, and they checked the cornea, there were actually vessels running through the cornea, which for the most part, there's very few vessels running through it. That's why if you have a corneal transplant, you have sutures in it all the way around, you know, and they have to be in for about a year for that to heal, oh. you know. It's kind of interesting that this one, um, what is it, two months, and mm -hmm. I've been already been told that the endothelium is fully in contact with my cornea, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, her optic nerves were donated to research for, um, oh, my God, what's the name of it? Gone blank. Um, Pressure in the eyes, uh, glaucoma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that that went. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the uh, the bad cornea was also donated for research. You know, so I've got to look at it in the sense that you know, if they really, if someone's light goes off in their head, you know, they're working with Sue's um, optic nerves, and you know, bingo, the light goes off. Then there's no telling how many people she's helped, mm -hmm. but. Um, just from the transplants, 17 people, yeah. Endothelium was transplanted. The sclera, the white of the eyes, mm -hmm. um, and I, I was talking to Jeff about this. I, I thought that what they, what they did is if the, if the uh, pressure gets so bad that the medication is not taking care of it, what, what I thought they did was put a hole in the, in the sclera and then put like a patch over it. Like if you, you know, um, uh, medics with a bullet wound if they're 
you know, out in the field somewhere, what they'll do, what the, a quick way of doing it is a plastic bag or a piece of plastic over the chest and you tape it on three sides, leave one side open. So as the lungs expand, the air is pushed out from the chest and as they collapse, the, the plastic sucks up, sticks over the bullet hole and stops air from being sucked in the chest, allowing them to breathe, okay? And I thought that's what they did with the, with the Scalera. Mm -hmm. And apparently they did once. But what they do now, if you can imagine this, uh, the way it explained it is like the, the tubes that goes in a kid's ear. Yes. You know? Okay. It's similar to that, but a lot, lot thinner. And it's a, it's a tube that's made up of Scalera. And they put that in the back of the eye. And that is your valve to release the excessive pressure. Incredible. It's Isn't that crazy? Crazy. You know? crazy? And then, you know, with the bone, I know, um, you know, Catherine, when she was there. Um, one of our former managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, she, she said that um, one donor, one, one, one bone donor actually – resulted in 300 grafts and uh, um, so the way I look at it is any donor could be a potential 300 person helper as such you know sure. yeah so I look at it like that she she's helped like 317 people plus you know that's amazing that's truly amazing it is, it is. yeah it is Keith I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending this time with us today um, and talking about some really important and very personal um, and powerful um, topics. So really appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure that our audience is going to greatly benefit from um, all of the information that you've provided and just, just hearing your story. So again, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. You're welcome. So if you have any questions for us, please call. 501-907-9150. And if you're ready to make a life-restoring decision and register to become an organ, tissue, and eye donor, go to DonateLifeArkansas.org. Radiate is a production of Aurora and is hosted by Audrey Coleman, Aurora's Director of Communications. 